All right, so I wonder how much time, how much energy, and how much effort, and how much money we invest in fitting in. Anybody? You know, like a lot, right? Whether, uh, here's the thing, most of us don't like to admit that, but let's be real. Uh, we, we spend a lot of time and money and energy and effort trying to fit in. And then there, you have the whole segment of people say, I don't care what people think about me. And, and yeah, certainly some people care less what people think about me, but I'll just issue this challenge. Let me pick out your clothes tomorrow, okay? All right, deal? So we're good? All right, I got you. I got you. All right, so... Um, but we see this amplified as adults. You see it amplified in kids, and you see kids. You know, oh man, they um, uh, from the outside looking in, um, they want the toy that their friend has, you know, and uh, they, they want to belong, they want to uh, feel like they fit in, or uh, you get older and you're like, man, I really want to make the team, or maybe maybe it's more like I I don't want to get cut from the team. Anybody been there, done that? Okay, yeah. Maybe. Um, but, you know, like, we want to belong. We want to fit in. Or we get older, then you want the car uh, that, that someone else has. Or you want the house uh, that, that, your, that your coworker has. And, and we, on and on and on, we, we're, um, we spend a lot of time, energy, and effort, uh, and money investing in, fitting in, because we want to belong. Uh, on Psychology Today, this article by Joanna Cannon, she writes this, and uh, she, she says, the need for acceptance is a basic human instinct. Although some value it more than others, uh, we all want to fit in, to belong. In order to achieve that, we often present slightly different versions of who we are. Depending on the environment and whose company we are in, we might have numerous additions of ourselves for work, at home, or even online, all tweaked and modified in order to be accepted in that particular situation. And of course, the question is, are we being accepted for who we truly are or merely for the version that we choose to present of ourselves? Now, if we're not careful... Man, we'll get pulled into this never-ending cycle of trying to belong in ways that will never provide us with true belonging. So today, as we continue our series, Misfits Christmas, uh, you know, most people have seen the, the classic TV show, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer from the 60s. It comes on multiple times every year, and it was always a staple at our house growing up. We watched it every year, and, and on this uh, show features the Island of Misfit Toys, which is where we kind of get the lingo for the series, but the toys on the Island of Misfit Toys that um, are not the only misfits of the show. There's more misfits in the show. Does anybody know? All right, who? Rudolph. All right, Rudolph. Why was Rudolph a misfit? Because he had that nose, didn't fit in with, with all the other reindeer, didn't belong. Uh, any other, uh, more misfits? All right. Who? who? Hermie, that's right. And uh, he, he didn't, as we had to clarify, he didn't want to be a dentist. He wanted to be a dentist. Five times yesterday? She got kids, guys. She got kids. So, all right. And then there's another, there's another misfit in the movie, in the show. Full name, please. Yukon Cornelius. That's right. The hero of the show, Yukon Cornelius. Uh, do you, have you watched the show? Yes. All right. I've seen the whole entire thing. All right. All right. 
definitely a misfit. That's incredible, incredible. That's right. <laughs> All right, watch it five times a day, okay? All right. So, so, so we have Rudolph, Yukon, Cornelius, uh, Hermie. We have uh, the Abominable Snowman. We have all the toys from the island of Misfit Toys, and they have all this in common, that they were outsiders, and they didn't really belong. And maybe you resonate with that at face value. You're like, you know what? I get that. There's so many things I feel like I'm on the outside looking in. I feel like I'm just not connecting. I feel like I'm not belonging in this area of life or, or I don't feel like I belong. And you, and you may feel literally like a misfit sometimes. Other times, you know, it's, it's, it's more subtle. We don't really know that, but if we spend much time with ourselves, we'll kind of get this feeling uh, that we never really measure up, that we never fit in, that we never truly are, are doing the things that we think we're capable of and the things that we think that we should be doing because everyone else is doing them around us. So today, uh, we're going to uh, talk about these outsiders, these misfits, and how, uh, how they became insiders. And ironically, this, this, this is a Christmas story. You know, as we look at outsiders who've been part of the traditional nativity story as we know it, they don't necessarily belong there, but uh, we accept them. The fact that we accept them, it speaks volumes uh, to the inclusiveness of God's kingdom. Um, so today as we look in the scriptures, we're going to uh, fast forward um, maybe months, year, maybe even up to two years from the nativity story. And we're going to look at another group of misfits who come from afar to visit Jesus, the Messiah. Uh, who am I talking about? Wiseman. That's right. The Magi. Well, what else? What do we call them? We three kings of Orient. We, we have no idea if it was three kings. We don't know that. That's just because there were three gifts. We know there were three gifts. Some, somewhere along the line, someone said there's three people. But chances are it was a whole group. It was a posse. They came with servants and they came with uh, all kinds of people um, on this venture. So... Um, I know you've seen them in the nativity scenes. They're dressed up like medieval kings, and they have crowns and fancy robes, and they certainly stick out in your nativity scene. But the truth is actually more strange than the popularized, popularized version of the nativity story that we all picture in our minds. Now, they actually show up much later, so they're not there uh, at the stable or the manger or with the shepherds. They show up months, even up to two years later. And at this point, Joseph and Mary and Jesus had put down roots in Bethlehem. They, they, they actually uh, had uh, lived in a house there. So I'm not suggesting you go home today and, and uh, get your magi. And if you have three of them, likely, unless you have kids, you probably have one or one and a half of them, you know. Uh, and sometimes we substitute them for other little toy figures. It's okay. Um, but I'm not su just suggesting you get rid of your Magi, but you can't put them in the other room, okay? That'd be a little bit more appropriate. So, so here we go. Matthew chapter 2, uh, verse 1 and 2, it says this. It says, uh, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east, they came to Jerusalem and they asked, where's the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So we had the Magi, all right? The wise men, as we call them, or, or, or the, the three kings, which wasn't really three kings, but it was this group from the east. In relation to Jerusalem, this uh, probably referred to the Persian Empire, okay? And they fit the description of a class of royal, wise, 
advisors. They, were, they would have been astrologers and astronomers. We like to separate that. Uh, but in their culture, the, it was probably all uh, jumbled up into the same study. Um, and so they studied medicine and, and math and, and the sciences. And, and they would have been a type of religious priest uh, person. Uh, probably in the Zoroastrian uh, religion, and they used the word magi to describe them. It's actually where we get the word magic or magician from, but these guys were no illusionists. They're actually more of like Renaissance men, the guys who studied in science, and, and they were the scholars of the day. So you had the magi coming from afar. You had the star. Now, we have no idea uh, what star this was, but they saw a star as a sign it was something that prompted them, something they were looking for, something they noticed, and something that prompted them to, to invest pretty heavily into this venture. And so they were looking to stars for, for all kinds of stuff and all kinds of signs back then. And it's really not much different today, aren't we? People are looking to the stars for all kinds of things today. But the Magi, they were pretty in tune with what was happening in the heavens, like certain alignments Certain constellations or, or comets or planetary alignments uh, were often associated with the events like births or deaths of rulers and kings. And so we don't know what star it was or whatever it was, but the Magi, they saw a sign in the heavens. And they saw, that, and, they, and they recognized that something or somebody big was happening near Jerusalem. So the Magi, they go. Now, they weren't necessarily looking for Jesus. They didn't exactly know the implications of this king of the Jews that they were looking for. But they were looking for direction to discover what this might mean. Verse 3 says, When King Herod heard about this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. Now, we en now enter King Herod into the story. Now, this was the first of many Herods, you know, they kind of, a bunch of them, but this was Herod the Great, and uh, he didn't earn Herod the Great the title because he was a great guy. He was actually kind of a, a wretch, you know. Um, uh, some have said he's a jackwad, uh, Herod the Great. He, so, so we'll call him Herod the not-so-great, okay, uh, today. But he was a ruthless leader, but he, re he got the title the Great from being such a great builder, like, he, he restored and he built uh, so many cities and towns and ports. And, and maybe the, the hallmark of his building escapades was the reconstruction of the temple that had been destroyed uh, centuries earlier uh, in Jerusalem. It was magnificent. Magnificent. You know, we actually know a lot about Herod, the not-so-great, from uh, historians like Josephus, who was this uh, Jewish uh, historian. Uh, first century guy. And uh, to give you an idea, he was like infamous for like uh, killing people, family members. Like he had a couple of his own children put to death because uh, he thought that they were a threat to his throne, uh, his wife. And, and, um, and he got crazier and crazier and more paranoid uh, towards the end of his life. Like he was such a horrible person <laughs> that, that as he neared death, he had many of the noble officials kind of uh, held captive into a, uh, uh, one coliseum. And that when he would die, he ordered that all of them be slaughtered. Why? So there would be mourning at the time of Herod's death. If not for Herod, he was going to make sure that they were going to be mourning. And so, and thankfully, um, 
his sister and his son, they didn't carry out his wishes, and that didn't happen. But guess when Jesus was born in all of this in the history and timeline? Like right then. Like right at the kind of the end of Herod's reign, right when like he was just like off with their heads and, and, and right then, like when there was so much turmoil and people were, were, were terrified of this ruthless leader, right towards the end of Herod's reign, that's when Jesus was born. So Herod calls together the religious leaders because he gets his news from these strangers from afar, these wise men that they're here to see the king of the Jews. Now... There's a small problem with that because King Herod was the king of the Jews. And so as you can see, this ruthless, paranoid maniac had some issues when some people from afar, these nobles came and they're looking to worship this king of the Jews. So Herod, he calls together his religious leaders, the Jewish religious, the teachers of the law, and he says, where's the Messiah to be born? And so they all quote to him, Micah 5, 2, that he's going to be, a ruler is going to be born from Bethlehem, the small town uh, near uh, Jerusalem. And, and, um, this prophecy was written over 700 years before the time of Christ, and, and everyone believed that this was the Messiah. This was the one that was going to come, the one that the, the Jews were waiting for to save them, to rescue them, that they would find their fulfillment in. And so, then Herod, in verse 7, it says, Then Herod called the Magi secretly, and he found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child as Soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. So now Herod, he's trying to play the Magi. Uh, you know, he's trying to pull one over on him. He's trying, he obviously, uh, they knew something that he didn't. And Herod wasn't down with that. They, they knew something special was happening, this so-called king of the Jews. And Herod, it, if there was any truth to it at all, Herod wanted to know what it was all about. So it says that after they had heard the king, they went on their way, the Magi went on their way, and, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So the Magi, they, they came, they came bearing three gifts. We don't know how many Magi were, I mean, I think it was probably more of a posse that these were rich, noble people, uh, and they came with gifts, and they probably didn't come with like a little tic-tac of gold, you know what I'm saying? They probably came with like like, it was heavy. They needed people. and I mean, they had to carry their supplies for traveling hundreds of miles. And so uh, they had three gifts. They, um, uh, and who knows how much food and shelter along the way. They used their talents of, of astronomy, astrology, and knowledge of the skies, knowledge of language. They even used their own knowledge of, of the Hebrew scriptures, of some religion from far away. Uh, and, and they set out on this journey to find this king of the Jews. And their Magi's response was to, when they found him, was to, re to rejoice exceedingly with, with great joy. You know, it sounds pretty redundant there, but it's Matthew's way of saying, man, these guys were pumped. 
And then they fell down and worshiped Jesus. Now, can you imagine like the weight of that? Like, you, like maybe Jesus is one year old at this time, and, and these strangers, these nobles, these leaders, these Renaissance men from, from hundreds of miles away from another, another nation, from another religion, they come and they bow down and they worship this baby. I mean, they're, they're giving gifts. I mean, it's like, dude, like, that's not like a re-gift. That's not fruitcake, you know what I'm saying? That's gold. That's gold. Joseph, is that real gold? Yeah, I think it is, you know? And, like, and, and, and frankincense and myrrh and, and, you know, these gifts, you know, uh, they're all gifts suited for a king. And uh, gold and frankincense and myrrh uh, was also used in, in burial. Uh, and so they think, uh, some people think that it was uh, looking forward to Jesus' death. But regardless, all these, all these gifts were valuable. They were pricey. It cost them something. So then God intervenes again. And the angel of the Lord appears again to Joseph and, and uh, tells Joseph, go to Egypt. Because uh, until the death of Herod, the not-so-great. He didn't say Herod, the not-so-great. But, but So the scripture continues in verse uh, 16. It says, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And that's not a good thing, by the way, Herod, to be furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and his vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. And that's why we know that, that the Magi weren't there with the shepherds. They weren't there as, when Jesus was, was born. They came sometime later. They saw the star. It took them uh, who knows how many months to travel. And, um, and we know that uh, Herod is killing boys two years old and younger. Can you, can you imagine the horror of that? It's one thing just to say it and, and read through the story uh, as a fairy tale. But if you... Picture that, what that would look like and sound like. Can you imagine? Now, Bethlehem was a small town, and boys, you know, two and under, some people say it, it might have been about a dozen, a dozen babies, but 20. But still, can you imagine? Why? It's all because Herod was the king of the Jews, and even though he converted to Judaism, he completely missed the point. He completely had no interest in what the story of God that was being played out before his very eyes, and he rejected it all. And so as we look at the story of the Magi, we see uh, part of the Christmas story as we know it as one of outsiders becoming insiders. We see one of those outsiders that belong. And so today I want to give us a challenge just with a couple things. And, and the first is this, that the story that Magi shows us that outsiders are welcome in the kingdom of God. You know, that's something we should praise God for, right? Because I'm an outsider and, and you're an outsider. All of us in our own ways, uh, whether it's by birth or whether it's by nationality or whether it's just by the mere fact that we often fall short. I mean, we're all outsiders. The story of the Magi shows us that the outsiders are welcomed in the kingdom of God. You know, the fact that the Magi come from far off, hundreds of miles away, the fact that they come from a pagan background and a different religion, it's, it's remarkable. 
You see the context of the, of the book of Matthew that this is written in, how it starts with uh, the, the birth of Jesus, and it calls him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Emmanuel, like Jesus' baby, is God with us. Then you see here the Magi, the outsiders, they're coming in, they're part of the story. They fall down, they bow, they're forever permanent part of the story of Jesus. And then as you fast forward to the end of the book of Matthew, Jesus is now telling his followers before he sends into heaven, he says, I want you to go into all the world and make disciples of me. Baptize them, teach them, teach them my ways. And he says, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. So just as he, God came with us through Jesus and Jesus leaves, he says, look, I will always be with you. It's like bookends. It's like bookends. But part of his mission is for us to go and make outsiders insiders. Make outsiders into insiders. And God, church, we have opportunities all around us. We have church, we, ha- we have opportunities all around us to, to, to love those around us, to serve. Maybe you can invite them over to your house for dinner or for cookies and cocoa or, or uh, you know, a great time of year. This is the best time that you can invite someone to church. It's the whole reason why we added uh, a service next week. Uh, so you can invite your friends and family to join you. So I just want to challenge you to do that. Share it online, uh, text the invites, or just ask them to come um, and uh, let's fill this place up with three services. And Why? Why? So outsiders, uh, because they, we want them to belong. That's our mission. That's our mission. Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, he's writing in Ephesians. He's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews were God's chosen people whom, whom he sent Jesus, going to bless the whole world, who he made himself known through. And the Gentiles was everybody else, okay? They were, by definition, outsiders, all right, but Paul writes this in Ephesians 2. He's talking about through the finished work of Jesus. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So through Jesus going to the cross, through him offering his life for ours, that no matter who, no matter who it is, no matter what they've done, no matter where they are born, no matter uh, what their background is, is welcome by the blood, because of the blood of Jesus. And this is why we say that the kingdom of God turns outsiders into insiders. And maybe, maybe you're here today and, and that's you. You say, you know what, I, I've been uh, flirting with this God thing and this Jesus thing, but uh, I still kind of feel like I'm on the outside looking in. I'm still kind of knocking on the glass, and I feel like a misfit. And, and I want to just, just share with you that God is in the business of bringing people in. He wants to bring people in. And that's why he said, Jesus, that's the point of the Christmas story. It's because God with us. He came for the purpose of going through the cross of redeeming us and buying us back. That's what redeeming means, buying us back. God, God wants to buy his lost children back. Provided a way. And then he gives us the mission to go. I want you to make outsiders into insiders. So if that's you, you know, then maybe today's your day where you can take hold of that gift that Jesus, we trust him with our lives. We trust him with our salvation. And that's what he wants us to do, be baptized in his name and live life following after him. 
So maybe that's you, but we see that the story of the Magi shows us that outsiders are welcomed in the kingdom of God. But we also see this. We see that the Magi use their own resources to find who their gifts belong to. So the Magi uh, had these gifts that they wanted to take to this king of the Jews, but they all had their own resources that they offered up, you know, things like gold and and things like frankincense and things like myrrh, and and these things weren't cheap. They they, they were expensive. They were valuable, and you know what? Things that are valuable, uh, typically we like to hold on to those things, don't we? Not just give it away to some stranger in some far-off land, but... John Piper, he writes about the the gifts given by the Magi. He says this, "By, By giving to you what you do not need and what I might enjoy, I am saying more earnestly and more authentically, you are my treasure, not these things. I think that's what it means to worship God with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Later in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 13, Jesus says this, talking about the kingdom of heaven. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And and then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When when he found one one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So the kingdom uh, of God, like when we, when we find it, it's something that's so valuable that we will ditch anything and everything that we have just so we can cling on to this kingdom of God, the reign and rule of God in our life. You know, it's like a Persian magi, an astrologer, this priest, traveling hundreds of miles with uh, lots of people using more and more of their resources, using their talents to discover what we have all needed and searched for our entire lives, and they found themselves right at the feet of Jesus. It's like not trying to blend in or or fit in with empty facades, but giving up on our journey of belonging. You know, are we seeking are we seeking belonging in the wrong things? Are we trying to find our identity, our belonging, our purpose? In Jesus. You know, the Magi, they understood that knowledge, like incredibly smart. We call them wise men, right? But the Magi understood that knowledge wasn't just for knowledge's sake. You know, knowledge doesn't help anyone unless it's acted upon. You can have all the knowledge in the world and still be a pretty bad person, okay? Magi understood that knowledge for knowledge's sake wasn't, wasn't useful. They weren't interested in the religious political interplay that they would find with the Romans or, or with Herod. They didn't really care what their family thought or, 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 the, or the other nobles back in, in, in the Persian Empire. They didn't care what others think, but they took their knowledge and they took their resources and they, they went. You know, I mean, we, we go on trips, you know. We, we plan, don't we? Print out directions, uh, come up where we're going to stop, make sure you got your oil checked and air in the tires, and, and you know, you got to get someone to go feed the dog, and, and all, all this stuff, all these plans, just for us to drive somewhere. Man, these guys traveled for months just to seek, just to seek something more, and what they found was belonging. 
the Magi read, they, they studied, they discovered the meaning, the, uh, meaning. and listen, this is, this, is a, this is a cue for us, that the more we study the story of God, the one that he gives us in the scriptures, the, the, the less we'll fall into the false narrative of belonging that the world tries to pull us into. So we're all being pulled every which way, aren't we? To belong to this, to that, fit in here. I don't measure up. I don't add up. I need this. I want that. I'm not quite good enough. But when we seek after what God wants us to find, that's when we'll discover where we belong. And when we find where we belong, we want others to join us. We want others to belong as well. So what about King Herod, the not-so-great? Like, like, Jesus is for the outsiders, he's for those, he's for the rest of us, but what was Jesus for Herod? Most definitely. You know, he came for the world. But here's the thing with Herod. He clung with everything that he had to his own empire, to his own kingdom. To his own throne. There was no room for another king in his life. So church, I want to challenge us. Maybe the best way that we can belong, find real belonging, is to let go of the things that we've been holding on to the tightest and trust and pursue Jesus. And that's where we'll find belonging, that outsiders belong. The Magi gave their time, their talent, their treasure. Herod held on to his own. And church, if we humble ourselves, we humble ourselves and come to the king, we'll see that we'll find belonging. You belong.